Hi, and welcome back to PH Expanded with Mike McDonald. Um, another good win. Getting into a habit of some nifty wins. I like this habit. Really into this. I uh, love the game. Love the first half. One of the most enjoyable and yet different first halves or halves of football, be it first or second, uh, for a long while. Of course, playing Leeds is such a different experience because they man-to-man -man mark on defence so you can move them around as we did. Uh, I didn't mention in my, in my blog about Arteta's game plan per se and how he had certain players moving in and out of spaces to free others. So, uh, and I don't want to uh, speak too much on that, but that was, I think, uh, the sliding doors moment of the game. I think that was really a very smart uh, thing to do. There, There is risk in that, um, but uh, if you're going to play man-for-man -man on defence uh, and Leeds are going to be belligerent with that and you're going to have situations where Lacazette runs wildly over to the far left wing and Robin Cock, their centre-back, goes with him, then they're going to be numbers down. You just have to make sure you avoid Lacazette, which is the whole purpose of that. Um, it's just to make these decoy runs. And so I suppose, uh, I suppose you figure this out yourself, but that's why football's not played this way ordinarily. Bielsa is about one of the only coaches that does do this. But when you come up against a really smart coach and players that buy into their coach's philosophy, then you're going to have situations like this um, and uh, games that look like these 90s games where there's so much more space. Um, and uh, for as much as we've been complaining that Arsenal don't create many big chances, that first half was... I think they said that... Uh, I read a stat, maybe it was Albino stating that we created more chances in the first 28 minutes of that game than Spurs did in September. So if you haven't heard that stat, you're going to you're probably going to be chuckling at that one. So that's a good start, right? Okay. Let's go with a positive. Well, that was rather positive, of course, but but here's here's another one. Uh I get the sense that watching Arsenal now we are developing from a team that's getting better at denying other teams. That's been going on a while. To becoming uh, a team that's making certain difficult things look easier. Of course, I uh, wax lyrical about the, the front four in my blog. And they deserve it. But it's not just that they're being productive. They're doing it repeatedly and they're making it little, look a little easier. We're moving the ball through midfield a little quicker and easier and starting to dominate. Our back four look very much at ease, whether they're going short or long. And that's a big step in a, in a team's development and certainly in the confidence of the fan base is when you look difficult uh, games in, straight in the eye and you make them look easier than they probably should be. And that's quite a jump, actually. So I think if you were to break that down, what exactly is that? Well, of course, it's lots of details, but I'll pick out one. Playing in a more direct fashion. Now, that doesn't um, just include the obvious. 
the obvious being that we actually now counterattack where we never originally under Arteta would do so. He was, it was so meticulous in his overcoaching that he would make sure that everybody was in their exact zones that they were on the training ground before we were almost allowed to pass the ball forward and take advantage of a counter counterattack situation. And thank heavens that he has evolved and loosened uh, that uh, instinct of his to control so much and try to take advantage and just play the game in front of us. So that's the first piece. That's more obvious. But the smaller details are things like uh, scanning, which is um, checking your shoulder every two to three seconds before the ball comes when you don't have possession to look for colour. You look forward. You look for colour. Um, not players necessarily, but just colour. And let your your brain do the work and scan and know where your one-touch option is. Uh, that would be one. Playing with your hips the right way round, opening them up and seeing the option to go forward. Um, the newest one I'm observing is the first touch. And because each level of football, the higher you go up, you'll notice that there are a couple of major differences. Uh, and one of them is most certainly not just the quality of the first touch, but the importance of where you put it. Because if you receive the ball in the final third, let's say, and you take a negative touch, which is just a, such a tiny detail, but it's essentially just receiving the ball and, and tapping it backwards, so to speak, you know, back towards your own half, even if it's just a couple of feet, that's enough for a, a player or a layer of players to have those extra few uh, or extra half a second to get back and get into shape. If your first touch goes forward and attacks the space, then not only do you save that time, you discourage the defenders and some of them will even decelerate at that point in time and they'll uh, not necessarily give up but give, give less because they see no point. And we've all seen at every level of football players chasing the game at far less than a top sprint. And that would be because the player receiving the ball has given them no chance. And they almost, as a human reaction, don't want to look foolish making their very best effort for no reason. It's like a knee-jerk human reaction, I think. But we're, we're making those first touches um, more obvious. And so um, running with the ball into the space provided, bringing players towards us uh, before we give the ball up, that was probably something that Arteta did when he first came in. But all these pieces are coming together, um, not over um, playing inside the box, hitting the ball through and around defenders. Because as uh, somebody who's shooting, the picture that you have in front of you is not what it looks like when you cock your leg back to hit the ball. When you do that, again, the natural human reaction for a defender is to flinch. Flinch a lot, flinch a little, but gaps will open up through legs. You aim the ball maybe at their right hip, and their right hip won't be there because their right hip's going to turn and twist as they flinch. And the goalkeeper is blocked by that hip, so he can't see the ball coming, and he sees it late. So again, these are all small details, but um, I think and I hope that the the next piece of this is uh, creating more uh, tappings, for want of a more sophisticated term. So 
we can probably visualise how Manchester City score, gosh, let's just throw a random number out. Let's say about 40% of all their goals are tap-ins. They get the ball into, uh, uh, slide it down the side of the box, somebody drills the ball across the six-yard box and it's tapped in by somebody at front, middle or back post. Over and over and over again. Now, of course, Arteta was part of that scheme for many years and he knows about that. And that's not something that we are prolific at yet. It's starting to happen a little. We're more a team that enjoys the cutback and the finish there. But hopefully when we bring in a striker that's got better movement, one of the ones that we currently have, we'll be able to utilise that more. OK, um, I wanted to... This is going to sound um, like the polar opposite of what I've just talked about here. I'm going to pick out the need, which is the need for more ruthlessness. And having just beaten Leeds 4-1 and uh, on a bit of a roll, and to talk about ruthlessness might sound like I'm a little off with my timing. But... Uh, I still see uh, a need for that on a couple of different levels. Uh, first of all, I got the feeling that some players at some points in that first half were thinking that the game was too easy. So taking a little bit too much time, taking the situation a little bit too lightly, um, almost toying with leads. When, gosh, how many times a season do you get given that much space? Uh, I mean, it probably won't happen again this season. So when you are, you've got to capitalise on that. Now, it wasn't pivotal today because we won 4-1, which we'd certainly have signed up um, for beforehand. But I think just as a good habit, we need to be more ruthless and just punish teams, no matter what the situation in games, if they are just willing to open up for us and we have that, have that opportunity and that we don't over-elaborate. We just want to keep punishing and punishing. Um, and so I see that. Um, and uh, I saw just, uh, you know, the, the stepping off the gas when there were opportunities, even in the second half, um, to put the game to bed. Because 3-0 is a lead that we've seen over the years, every once in a while, that teams can come back, not necessarily win from it, but they can get a late equaliser. And there were quite a few opportunities where we neglected to pass the ball forward when we had opportunity uh, to go for the fourth. Now, I said in my blog that we had to be very uh, careful with how we passed the ball, and that I didn't think we were very successful in managing the game um, and following through the coach's instructions because we were too creative and our balls were too uh, high risk in the second half but there were occasions where we received the ball in space and could have gone forward could have gone forward another touch quicker and again just been a little more ruthless played as if it's one nil and not three nil so I'm hoping uh, that that comes into our game because there'll be a lot more games that look like this one than the one nil against Norwich and was it 2-2 two, two or 1-1 one, one against Crystal Palace? It was a last-minute draw anyway, I forget. But games that shouldn't really be close. Um, Arsenal don't have that habit yet. Certainly not a habit. OK, moving forward. So, uh, got a couple of things that I wanted to talk about um, left here. We've got... Uh, so, for a hope, but I want to talk about Tuesday. Uh, I want to talk about... Uh, what we are 
thinking in regards to the lineup. Um, so we can probably pick a lineup that includes the guys that haven't played a whole lot recently because he's kept the same team. So that's likely what we're going to see. So, you know, you're going to see Leno, and I'd imagine Cedric and Tavares um, holding in chambers now that Pablo Marie has got COVID. The midfield is interesting. It's going to be likely El Nenny, and I'm hoping for Charlie Patino. Um, again, not wanting to overplay certain players. Um, I'm wondering if he's going to bring Odegaard back into midfield. Uh, but again, I wouldn't want to play him or certainly not start him at home to Sunderland. Um, so that midfield is going to be interesting. Uh, I wonder what that's going to look like. Um, Akinola is another one who's been had a very good season for the under-23s. And I think that there'll be a couple of uh, under-23 midfielders on the bench at the very least. Uh, knowing Arteta, he's probably going to play one or two first-team players and Maybe it's somebody like Xhaka, I don't know, um, who he'll just want to, to lead the group. Um, moving forward, you've got Pepe, um, who's going to no doubt get an outing. I don't know if he's going to play Smith Rowe a little bit more than he has recently. See if we can get 90 minutes in his legs as he's come back um, from his brief spell out. Uh, we've got Enketia, I think, will will play. And look quite good from the left, I think, all season. That hasn't been talked about, but I think that that's fair. I'd hope that Balogun gets another opportunity. Um, I'm wondering if Beerith will be on the bench. Uh, he's been doing consistently well for the under-23s. There's Salaradine. Um, of course, there's Amari Hutchinson um, and Kido Taylor-Hart. And there's probably others that I'm missing that could see the bench. But I don't see many, if I'm being honest. Um, there might be one or two either start or more likely on the bench because I think Arteta historic, has historically uh, safeguarded his uh, the game by putting his first-team players on the bench just in case it was to go uh, badly. Now, he may, because it's the Christmas period, he may just think, well, sod that. OK, we're just going to... Surely we can win at home to Sunderland with our second string and with kids on the bench. And I'd be very tempted to do that and just give the first team, first 11, the night off. Um, well, I forgot about Maitland-Niles. I'm wondering where he is. He's one that's gone through the the vanishing act. So, gosh, I hope that he starts at central midfield and, and is man of the match. He's always been one of my favourites. OK, last thing I wanted to talk about was the centre-forward situation the striker the player that we're going to bring in because that's just gone and got very interesting so if we want to trust Smith Rowe Saka Martinelli and maybe a little of Erdegaard to be um, at least the wide forwards to be our main attacking threat numbers wise uh, certainly as far as goals are concerned, much like Liverpool get more goals from Mane and Salah than Firmino, do we go for a different type centre-forward? Do we do that intentionally? Somebody that's going to be an inverse playmaker, come towards the ball, into the midfield, much like Lacazette does now, uh, hold it up, play off it um, like a pivot, and not be the golden boot winner, striker that we think we're probably going to get. 
Now, that's one way to go. Um, I wonder if he will go for both options. If the club are interested in Dusan Vlajevic as the out-and-out penalty box goal scorer, and then look at somebody like Mikel Olafabal at Real Sociedad, who plays as a false nine uh, pivot player, and just have those two as your options instead of Lacazette and Aubameyang. I'm wondering and thinking he might just do that. So that's going to be super interesting to see where we go with that. Of course, we could move Martinelli inside, but then you look at the productivity that he provides not just going forward from the left of those outside to inside runs and the fact that he's not uh, being defended by a centre-back, he's been def defended by a full-back. And you see how much he gives to the team defensively, the energy and the effort and the compliance that um, he offers Arteta defensively. And you think, I don't know if I want to lose that. So I don't know if we will move him to striker. Uh, I'm not even sure that's the smartest thing to do because will he get clogged up um, and just get kicked by bigger centre-backs with his back to goal? And if he does have a weakness, it's his technical side of his game. I saw his stats after, or I heard about his stats on the Arsenal Vision podcast. They were talking about how he only had a 63% pass completion yesterday. And... That's how they started, and I thought, oh gosh, they're going to dog him. This is not the day for this. And they went on to talk about all his other stats, which were outstanding. And they're trying to make the point that pass completion for a player like him should not be in his mind. But you don't know what the club are telling him and how important that is for him to make sure that he has a higher pass completion, which I personally think is a big risk to tell a creative player, a player who you want to take risks, to be a concerned at all with their past completion. So anyway, these are all interesting thoughts and questions. And it's late here again. I had to drive back from Cincinnati. So it's past midnight here. Just finished writing my blog and, and here's the podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope these thoughts are making some form of sense and that, uh, that this is good. Uh, but I'm whipped. I need to go to bed and get ready for um, the next piece of Christmas coming up in my house. God bless.